Well, good evening. I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 20. Psalm 20, as was read just a moment ago. Psalm 20. It was last Sunday morning at the end of the morning service that we held a special prayer of dedication for the Germany mission team, committing them to the Lord, asking for God's good hand of blessing upon them as they went to serve our missionaries, Luke and Bethany Snell, in Germany. And if you were here that, that day, you remember I got emotional as I prayed. For I thought about the potential spiritual impact of that, this missions trip on our teens, one of whom is my own daughter, and the potential spiritual fruit that could be gained from their trip. On Wednesday, just a few days ago, before Pastor Jared and Tammy and the teens departed from the church for the airport, we huddled together again, and in this case, it was parents and the students, and we prayed again on that occasion. Pastor Jeremy prayed for their safety and their success, trusting them into the Lord's hands. And we don't always stop and pray every time we head out to run an errand, but there are some events and enterprises that really compel us to declare our dependence upon God in a very specific and special way, dedicating ourselves to him in a very formal way. For example, often before major surgery, we may pause and pray that God would give the doctors and the nurses great skill in their work, pray for our body to respond well to that surgery or that procedure. On another occasion, it may be a long road trip in the Morell family, if, if we're taking a long road trip, we will pause in the driveway before we depart and we will pray for safety as we travel. Maybe it's that job interview or that big test or that critical decision and we look to God in prayer and we ask for his favor, trusting him with our endeavor. How about this one? How about before our loved one is deployed as a soldier for war. It doesn't get any bigger than that, and how would we trust God in prayer when sending our loved one into harm's way into the battlefield? That has never been my experience, but perhaps it's been some of your experience. You've been there and you've done that as you've seen your family member or loved one deployed for war. And such was the case for ancient Israel as we come to Psalm 20. But let me first reference Deuteronomy chapter 20. You don't need to turn there. Deuteronomy 20 says, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them for the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God, the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, so it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart be faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to save you. Deuteronomy 20, verses 1 through 4. And the passage there, the context there, really describes and prescribes a dedication service to be held for those who are going to war. 
We know that this would have included offering of sacrifices and dedicatory prayer like is recorded for us now in Psalm 20. And so imagine yourself as a soldier or an officer in Israel's army preparing to follow your king into battle. Psalm 20 is a prayer that you would pray. Although it's been read for us once already this evening, I'd like you to look there at Psalm 20 and follow as I read Psalm 20 again. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah, or pause to remember Or think on this. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we... We have risen and stand upright. Save Yahweh. May the king answer us when we call. Let's pray. God in heaven, as we come to the Holy Scripture now to read it and to study it, we ask that your spirit would give us insight and understanding, illuminating this ancient text to us so that we might find practical application of it in our lives. Lord, we confess that we don't often come to you in prayer when running daily errands, but God, at times, we face the enemy, and the opposition is great, and the stakes are high, and Lord, I pray that you would give us the tools of prayer from this psalm that we might use in coming to you, and I pray that you would enlarge our minds and our hearts with the faith to trust you as we pray in these ways, for I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 20 is classified as a royal psalm. It's written by King David. It references the Lord's anointed in verse number six. It concludes with a reference to the king at the end of verse number nine. It's a prayer for a king who's about to go out into battle. Some scholars believe that this may have been penned or written, authored at a specific time for a s- specific battle in mind. Other scholars think that this would have been a prayer that would have been used for any battle that a king might fight in the future. The setting is the temple area, and the mood is liturgical, meaning formally ordered. And the references are to the sanctuary or to Zion or to sacrifices and and burnt offerings. Perhaps you caught some of that language as we've read the psalm now twice this evening. And I can envision in my mind that the people of God have gathered together in the temple area to pray in preparation for their king to go to war and all of their sons, their husbands, their family and friends to be deployed into battle. And with that setting in mind, I want to point you Uh, to the text, and I want to highlight some of the important features, namely the pronouns of this prayer, for the pronouns will help us understand who is praying. So, look in verses one through four. 
It appears that the psalm is a corporate prayer, perhaps spoken by the assembly on behalf of the king, the, the you in verses one through four, the, the king who is about to be deployed. In fact, let me, let me read it a third time. May the Lord answer you, perhaps the king in the day of battle. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you and fulfill all your purpose. You see those pronouns there. And this makes me mindful of the dedicatory prayers that that we corporately offer to the Lord as I cited just a moment ago with our mission team to Germany or others that, that we might be praying for. Verse five, look there, it appears that the congregation now is going to respond in faith to their own prayer. They're they're preparing themselves and promising to rejoice or shout for joy when the king is victorious. And and notice now the pronouns change from, from you to we and our. Verse number five, we will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our our banners. And it appears that the congregation is is responding. In verse six then, it seems to be the voice of a single person, one person. You see the pronoun I. Maybe this is the worship leader, maybe this is the high priest, maybe it's the king himself, but whoever the singular person of verse six is, it seems that he continues into verse seven, maybe speaking as a representative of of the people. Let me read again now verses six and seven. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we now, maybe speaking for the assembly, will remember the name of the Lord our God. And then the leader continues into verse number eight, and he's summarizing two different approaches to the battle. Verse eight, they have bowed down and fallen, their demise their defeat, but we have risen and stand upright. Then finally, in verse number nine, there is a a collective shout that really became a common cry throughout most of of human history now, and, and that is the cry, God save the king. And our English translations vary widely in verse number nine, different renderings of verse number nine. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I like this reading. This is the Pastor Matt paraphrase of verse number nine. O Lord, save the king, answer us when we call. That may be a bit different than your reading of verse number nine. So, so what are we to do with Psalm 20? Uh, we aren't a king, we aren't praying for a king, we aren't going to war, and so in what way is this scripture profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness? In what way is this written for our learning? Psalm 20. If you turn your notes over, I've copied a, a brief paragraph from the reformer John Calvin, and in his commentary, here's what he says. Many interpreters view this prayer as offered up only on one particular occasion, but in this I cannot agree. The occasion of its composition at first may have arisen from, a, from some particular battle which was about to be fought, either against the Ammonites or against some other enemies of Israel. But the design of the Holy Spirit, in my judgment, was to deliver to the church a common form of prayer which, as we may gather from the words, 
was to be used whenever she was threatened with any danger. Of course, we know from the New Testament book of Colossians, we just speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so this psalm is something that we can use. In fact, it might even serve as a model for us. I've written there at the top of your notes on the front side, Psalm 20 provides us a script, a manuscript of of the language that we might use in our practice of prayer to God. However, no script can rightly express the level of trust that we have in our God, and that's really the conclusion of where we'll go as we unpack this further. But if we use Psalm 20 as a model for us in our prayer life, How might we employ this psalm? Let me give you seven parts of this prayer, seven points of prayer, seven pieces of this prayer, language that you can use as you go to the Lord significant times of prayer. Number one, number one, answer me when I cry to you. In your notes, number one, answer me when I cry out to you. Psalm 20, and if you'll allow, I'm gonna read it again now for a fourth time. (laughs) Verse number one, may the Lord Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. Or then if you look at the end of verse number nine, may the king answer us when we call, or my paraphrase, answer us when we call. And after all, the whole point of praying is to petition God. It's to get an answer from God. I think of Psalm 4, verse number 1. You might jot in the margin of your notes there. Psalm 4, verse number 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Psalm 143, verse number 1 and 7. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. Answer me speedily, O Lord. And God's promise to his people through the prophet Jeremiah was this, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so certainly the point of our prayer to God is to hear from God. But sometimes when we cry out to God in prayer, we, we, we don't get an answer. And it seems as if God is silent. In fact, that's what Job complained of in Job 30, verse 20. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and back at you? Do you ever feel like you, you call on God to answer in the day of trouble, but, but you hear nothing in return? And you wonder, does God even hear? Does God even care? And so what of unanswered prayer? Well, the fact of the matter is, on the authority of the Bible, we are assured that God does hear our prayers. He knows our need. Okay, but Pastor Matt, why hasn't he answered or why hasn't he answered yet? Well, maybe he's answering no. Maybe he's answering wait. But always he is answering with these words. Trust me. Trust me. Look at verse number one. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. This would be a great place to insert a study of the names of God. Proverbs 18, verse number 10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. But number two, the second point of our prayer could be number two, defend me when I need protection. 
First, answer me when I cry out to you. That's verse 1a. Secondly, defend me when I need protection, verse 1b. And and I think this is a common petition of of our prayers. We often pray for health and safety and protection. The story is told of Ira Sankey who was traveling on a steamer in the Delaware River when he was recognized by some passengers who had seen his picture in the newspaper and and knew he was associated with the evangelist D.L. Moody. Of course, Ira Sankey was D.L. Moody's song leader, music leader, worship leader at his crusades. And when they asked him to sing one of his own compositions, Sankey said he preferred to sing a different hymn, a hymn by William Bradbury, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. We're familiar with that hymn. He suggested that everyone join in the singing. One of the stanzas begins, we are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. When he finished, a man stepped out of the shadows and asked, were you in the army, Mr. Sankey? Yes, I, I joined in 1860. Did you do guard duty at night in Maryland about 1862? Why, yes, I did. I was in the Confederate army, said the stranger. I saw you one night at Sharpsburg. I had you in my gun sight as you stood in the light of the full moon. Then just as I was about to pull the trigger, you began to sing. It was that same hymn you sang tonight. That same hymn, Savior like a shepherd, lead us. That night I couldn't shoot you. You hear stories like that and and you think that maybe they're just urban legends. Really, is that really true? I'm convinced that God does protect us. He does defend us at times in ways which we will never know. How does God defend us or protect us when we need that protection? God provides protection providentially. And that would be through arranging natural affairs ahead of time behind the scenes providentially. And then God also protects us miraculously. And at times, perhaps, the Lord interrupts and reverses natural affairs in real time. That's the difference between providence and and miracles, providentially and miraculously. Then God also then protects us uh, supernaturally. And the Bible tells us that God's angels are ministering spirits. They're his agents for our well-being, Hebrews chapter one, verses seven through 14. So providentially, miraculously, and supernaturally. And you say, well, does that mean that each of us have our own guardian angel? Well, the idea comes from Matthew 18, verse number 10, which says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, speaking of of little children that were caused to sin in in the previous context, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. There's some indication at a minimum that God's agents, the angels, are protecting the little ones. And I'm not sure that we can be dogmatic regarding the notion of a designated guardian angel who sits on the the hood of my car while I'm driving down 169. However, God is one who does preserve and protect us from calamity. And so we pray, defend me when I need protection. 
Look at verse number two again, Psalm 20, verse two. May he send you help from the sanctuary. Stop there. This is number three. Number three, help me when I have nowhere else to turn. Answer me when I cry out to you. Defend me when I need protection. Number three, help me when I have nowhere else to turn. And, and where do you go when you need help? Well, it, it depends what help you need. If it's our car, we go to the mechanic. If it's our health, we go to the doctor. If it's the bathroom, we call the plumber. Everyone has a go-to guy that can help them. In fact, some of you are my go-to guys. And along the way, at times, I have needed help in a variety of different ways. And I have mentally thought through the membership of Fourth Baptist Church, and I've thought, who can help me with, with this situation? And some of you have helped me with my house, my car, my boat, my kids, my dog, right? And I'm grateful for that. You're my guy. You're, you're the, the go-to for that, and that's reasonable. However, when all else fails, where do we go for help? Well, then we go to the Lord for help. And, and of course, why don't we start with the, the Lord? Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You say, Pastor Matt, I, I don't know how I ought to pray in this circumstance. I'll tell you how to pray. Help, Lord, help me. I have nowhere else to turn. That's a good prayer. Verse two again, may he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Many times the help that we need is nothing more than the strength to go on, that's number four, strengthen me. I think um, your English Bible might read support me. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it sustain me, strengthen me or sustain me when I am weak. Hebrews chapter one, verse number three tells us that Jesus upholds or sustains all things through the word of his power for he is not only the creator, he is the sustainer. Consider this, one Bible commentator says, consider for example what instant destruction would happen if the earth's rotation slowed down just a little bit. Consider that the sun's surface has a temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If it were any closer to us, we would burn up. If it were any farther away, we would freeze. Consider that our globe is tilted on an exact angle of 23 degrees, providing us with four seasons. If it were not so tilted, vapors from the ocean would move north and south and develop into a, monstru a monstrous continents of ice. Consider that if the moon did not retain its exact distance from the earth, the ocean tides would inundate the land completely twice a day. After the first flooding, of course, the others would not matter as far as we would be concerned. Consider that if the ocean floors were merely a few feet deeper than they are, the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance of the Earth's atmosphere would be completely upset. No animal or plant life could exist. If the atmosphere did not remain at its present density but thinned out even a little, many of the meteors which are now harmlessly built up, I'm sorry, burned up when they hit the atmosphere would be constantly bombarding us on land. We would have to live underground or in meteor-proof buildings. It is the arrogance and the audacity of man to believe that we are causing or can prevent 
climate change. Now, obviously, we need to be good stewards of the creation, the natural world that God has given us. There's no virtue in dumping our garbage in the ocean. I'm not suggesting that. However, Jesus Christ is monitoring and managing and maintaining it all with the word of his power. And so it's a small thing to go to the Lord and ask for strength and ask him to sustain us. God, I am tired. Give me strength. Lord, I'm a little frazzled. I'm falling apart. I'm having a meltdown. Can you give me strength for this day? Never mind the universe. How about our own lives personally? It's in Jude, verses 24 and 25. The Bible says that Jesus sustains not just the universe, but us as well. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever, amen. He will hold us fast and he will strengthen us and sustain us. Verse number two, may he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion, or there, Jerusalem. Verse number three, may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. And then there's that notation, Selah, calling us to stop and to to think about this for a moment. What is the appeal? What is the prayer in verse number three? And I would offer you Roman numeral number five, remember me in times of trouble. Of course, borrowing from the phrase in the beginning of verse number one, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble, but then verse number three, may he remember all your offerings. And the the appeal, the prayer, number five, is remember me in times of trouble. Now, man's appeal to God has always been based upon acceptable Sacrifice. So follow this with me. I would suggest that King David, the author of Psalm 20 of this prayer, had followed the prescribed procedures for sacrifice and burnt offerings, in this case, preparing to go out to battle. It was David's predecessor, King Saul, who did not follow the prescribed procedures but unlawfully took matters into his own hands when he grew impatient and waiting for Samuel the prophet to come and offer the sacrifices. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 13, verse number eight. Consequently, when the, the prophet Samuel finally arrived and the, the, the wrong sacrifices had already been offered by King Saul, Samuel announced that King Saul's kingdom would not endure. They were unacceptable sacrifices. In this case, King David's obedience in offering the right sacrifice as prescribed by God was the merit upon which the people's prayer could be made. You say, well, I I don't understand that. All right, Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15. Listen to Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15. It says this, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Whatever acceptable offerings and sacrifices, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. And so on what basis then do we as New Testament Christians approach God's mercy seat or his throne of grace? I submit to you that it's based upon the acceptable sacrifice of 
Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God on the cross, his shed blood there. And so once again at the end of verse number three, the, the Selah demands a pause for repre- reflection. When we go to God in prayer, for us in Jesus' name, let us remember the acceptable sacrifice that has been made so that we can approach God at all. And let us remind God of that sacrifice. God, I am coming to you in the name and because of the shed blood of your perfect acceptable sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Remember that? Remember Jesus. And so we approach. Remember me in times of trouble. Why would God remember you in times of trouble? Because of the sacrifice of of Jesus Christ. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice is what King David is, is, or what what the people, maybe the high priest, is praying um, regarding King David. Verse four, may he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Look at the end of verse number five. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. This is number six. Grant me what I desire. This is a sixth point of prayer that you may pray. God, grant me what I desire. And our words, I'm sorry, our prayers ought to include words of worship and adoration and surrender and confession and intercession for others. But most often when we pray, we pray prayers of supplication. We pray prayers of of request, asking God for something that we need or something that we want. So what was the desire of the king and of the people in this psalm? It was to be victorious in battle and to come home from battle to triumph over the enemy. In our case, what is it that we desire when we pray? And is it a selfish thing for us to pray for God to give us what we want? Well, it depends on what we want. Of course, the promise in 1 John 5 verses 14 and 15, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And so we need to be careful in in, in our requests or our desires. God, grant me not what I want, but what you want. Make sure that our desire is in alignment with God's desires. For many times, James, or for at times, as James tells us, we, we ask and we do not receive because we ask amiss that we may spend it on our own pleasures selfishly, James 4, verse number three. But quickly now, verse number five, we will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save Yahweh. May the king answer us when we call. Now, a little bit more Bible study here before we conclude. There is a recurring theme, a recurring word and a theme in these final few verses and and I want you to see if you can find it with me. Maybe you caught the phrase at the end of verse seven, the phrase, the name of the Lord our God. Okay, that's reminiscent of verse 1b. Verse 1b as well as verse number seven, the name of God. And we could do a study of the names of God. But I'm really looking for a different theme that is repeated in these final verses. I'm looking at verse five. You see salvation there? Look at verse six. 
saves and saving strength. Look at verse number nine. Save. And so you might fill in Roman numeral number seven. Save me from my enemies. Answer me when I cry out to you. Defend me when I need protection. Help me when I have nowhere else to turn. Strengthen or sustain me when I'm weak. Remember me in times of trouble. Grant me what I desire and now save me from my enemies. And really this summarizes the entire psalm, this entire prayer. It's a prayer for salvation from the enemy. But there's another theme that I want to conclude with. I want to highlight again in verses 5 through 9, specifically, specifically verse number 7. There was a definite expectation of God's salvation, and that expectation is expressed in verse 7 with the idea of trust. You see, folks, we have a script. We have lines that we can use, phrases, language that we might employ in our prayer. Answer me, defend me, help me, strengthen me, remember me, grant me, save me. But what about the matter of of trust? When you go to God in prayer, do you believe that God can actually do what you're asking him to do? Or do you reserve for yourself some trust in your own devices? Lord, Lord, I need your pr- provision. I can't afford to meet my financial obligations, so please meet my needs as I fall back on my own creative resources. Rather than trusting Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, we trust Jehovah Visa card, right? Jehovah Visa. Because even though I prayed for God's provision, This is actually how I'm gonna get it done with the visa. Lord, I need protection. This world is unhinged. It's a dangerous place. Crime is surging as I barricaded myself in my house with my own guns and alarms and security cameras. I trust you, Lord, for my safety. But I've really taken matters into my own hands. Lord, I'll trust you with the safety of my precious children, but I'll never let them out of my sight, right? Because I need to be in control. Lord, I'll trust you for my daily bread as I hoard as much food and toilet paper as I can afford, right? Be careful when you pray to not also hedge yourself with horses and chariots. You can use all the right language You can follow the scripts, but if you hedge yourself with your own resources as in horses and chariots, then you are really communicating to the Lord, I actually don't trust that you can do these very things. I think the appeal of King David, of Israel in this moment as they would pray this prayer and deploy their finest to war was a point of confidence in Yahweh. And may we do the same. Let's pray. Oh God, forgive us for faint hearts. Forgive us for weak knees. Forgive us for trusting in horses and chariots and every other device of man. God, I pray that you would give us faith for our vision to be fixed wholly upon you, for our faith to be safely in you. Lord, none of us are going to war tomorrow, but we have 
We have formidable foes that are facing us, and so we pray that you'll answer us, defend us, help us, strengthen us, remember us, grant us our request, and save us from our enemies. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.